Welcome to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast.
last words. Last words are the most memorable words. Take some of these last words, for example. Oscar Wilde's last words were, this wallpaper is dreadful. One of us will have to go. Beethoven said, applaud, my friends, the comedy is over. Leonardo da Vinci said, I have offended God and mankind because my work didn't reach the quality it should have. We're all doomed. Winston Churchill said, I'm bored with it all. Henry Ward Beecher said, now comes the mystery. Karl Marx said, last words are for fools who haven't said enough. And Jesus says, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Final words may be the most important words we say. They can sum up everything we've been trying to get across. Final words can clarify any confusion, perhaps, with previous words. They can get to the point, to the heart of everything we wish to communicate. Our final words may be the words we most want others to remember. If you don't remember anything else I've said, remember this. So, final words are very important even to write. James's last words may be his most important here in this letter. They are the most prescriptive of all his other words. Don't do this and do that. And it's more concise, more proverbial, more to the point and clear. Boiling everything down, James says, if you are sick, pray. Any among you suffering, they should pray. Any cheerful, sing songs of praise. Any sick, call for the elders of the church. Have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, skeptics like myself may be more critical of James chapter 5 because it sounds too simplistic, too dismissive of modern medicine, doesn't it? Doctors, nurses, pharmacists spent thousands and thousands of dollars learning to practice medicine. And they hear, if you are sick, pray, which seems to take light such dedication and investment. We might say, too, that we have prayed when sick, and we have taken it to our elders or our deacons for their prayers, and yet we did not get well until we took the medicine. I witnessed a real church split once when a person in worship collapsed and needed medical attention. The pastor instead called for the church to gather around that person and pray. They prayed loudly in Jesus' name, confidently, and yet, thanks to the quick action of the associate pastor, an ambulance arrived just in time. This is not to say this passage in James is anti-science or anti-medicine 
any more than to say the creation story in Genesis and evolution have to be a contradiction. We should avoid reading too much science into the Bible or expecting scientific answers from the Bible since science is a recently created or discovered field. To try to read modern scientific truths into the ancient text would be a serious misreading of the Bible and dismissive of the treatment of science. If you are sick, pray. Now, there have been many scientific studies conducted over the years chronicling the power of faith to bring about physical healing. You have heard of these before because it has been shown that for people who believe in God or trust in a power beyond themselves, it can reduce stress and lower blood pressure and bring a sense of peace and calm that allows the body to naturally fight off diseases. But that's not to say that this biblical passage is true just because it can be proven scientifically. It's just to show that there isn't any need for there to be an inherent contradiction between faith and reason or religion and science. If you are sick, pray. But it doesn't mean prayer is the only effective remedy. Listen to James 5.14 because it reminds us that it is also critical that the community... The church surround the person who is in need and bring solidarity to their suffering. It would make no sense for James to hear what we say today. We are spiritual, but not religious. Or, I'm a person of faith, but I'm not a person that goes to church. Because a simple sense that a person is not alone, that she has her church, that he has his Sunday school class or his prayer group, is therapeutic. It is therapeutic. The gathering of the elders, the support of the church, the community, and the feeling that you are not alone is healing. How many of you have ever said, going through perhaps the death of a loved one or the illness of a loved one or a difficult situation, and you've said, I don't know how people who don't believe in God get through this. And you have experienced yourself, maybe the healing power of your church being there for you. Gather the elders of the church together. Have them anoint with oil and pray. I hope you can smell the frankincense on your hand. How can you heal without your community? How can you without your church? The more a person feels he is not alone, the more therapeutic it is. John Adams, our second president of the United States, wrote a letter on paper you know, and mailed it, I guess, to his wife, Abigail. And in his letter, he wrote these words. 
It is to me a most affecting thing to hear myself prayed for. In particular, as I do every day in the week, and disposes me to bear with more composure some disagreeable circumstances that attend my situation. That is, to hear myself prayed for helps me to bear the difficulties of life. Community can bear a healing effect on us. The church can help us be well. Not long ago, there was an exhibition in the New York Museum of American Folk Arts. There were drawings of, of an obscure San Francisco artist named A.G. Rizzoli, who died in 1981. He was a son of poverty-stricken Italian immigrants. His work would have been completely unknown had it not been rescued from a dumpster by his great-nephew. Rizzoli was shy and withdrawn. He lived by himself. By day he worked as a draftsman, but at night he worked drawing pictures of the people he loved, of God, of his mother, and of a few people that showed him kindness. One day a year, Rizzoli would arrange in one of his rooms, and he would invite the neighbors to come and see his drawings. In fact, he would make homemade signs, and he would take them around his neighborhood and post them, inviting the neighborhood to come and see his pictures in his house. His neighbors, I guess, were busy. Most of them didn't show a few would come by, mostly they were children. The children who would come because of this strange man who lived in their neighborhood, they would wander into his house, gaze at his drawings. Frank Rich in the New York Times wrote this, those who did stop by his house would later themselves be adoringly enshrined in his pictures, though they never knew it. Love was for him its own private reward. And an inscription on one of his portfolios read this. No longer any reason for feeling lonely. Love is stronger than loneliness. Faith is more enduring than flame. We need our community to make us well. There's a sense of not being alone that is therapeutic. And that's one of the purposes of the church. There's a person named Wayne who lives in an urban homeless shelter. Wayne has a psychological disorder so severe that he is able to re receive disability payments. But Wayne is condemned to wander the wasteland of that big city. But Wayne has found an oasis in that wasteland. Wayne joined a church. He is present in his church for every service, for every meal, for every event. And this is what Wayne said. 
He said, when I go outside this church, I'm a homeless guy, a bum, a transient. But when I'm with the church people, I'm just another person. If you ask Wayne what the church and its life of faith meant to him, he would say, these people saved my life. Gave me dignity. In this context of the importance of a community, James expands and grows the definition of illness to mean more than just physical illness. He's concerned about the sickness, the deterioration and brokenness of human relationships too. Read James 5, verse 16, verse 9, and 19, and verse 20. Sin is the ultimate disease. Sin is the ultimate act of sickness. It's the rebellion against God. And it hurts not only our relationship with God, but also our relationship with one another. Sin not only hurts those relationships, but they tear apart those relationships. And sin can prevent prayer from being effective. Listen, verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Sin is that ultimate disease. James doesn't say it explicitly there in in chapter 5, but we know from other scriptures that in ancient days, sin was linked to sickness and sickness to sin. You recall the man born blind in John chapter 9. The disciples asked Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? He said, neither this man nor his parents. Confess to each other, pray for each other, that you may be healed. No private religion here. Sin can destroy our relationships and prevent our prayers from being effective. That's why forgiveness is one of the most important things we can offer one another. Forgiveness. In forgiving people, we participate in God's work of restoring this world. In forgiving others, we join God who forgave our sins and who is transforming the brokenness and the sin of our sick world. By forgiving, we partner with God to bring to our world, to our city, our community, the goodness God truly desires. We might say, my little prayer, my piddling little prayer, can heal my friend, can heal my church, can heal my community. My little prayer can heal my world. That's what he says. Listen to what he says in verses 17 and 18. Elijah, Elijah was a human being. 
just as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain. And it did not rain in that land for three and a half years. And then he prayed again that it would rain. And the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. James gives us an example. Elijah, just a human, just a person like you. And yet his simple act of praying brought showers of blessing over a whole land. Imagine what your earnest prayers could accomplish. But we give up on prayer. Or we save prayer until we've run out of our resources and run out of answers. Or maybe we think, what good does it do to pray? Or I don't have the right words. Or I don't have enough faith. Or I don't understand how prayer works. I don't have enough knowledge about it. But James says nothing about any of that. You don't have to know. You just do it. Just pray. Are you in trouble? Pray. Are you happy? Make your prayer words of praise. Are you sick? Have the church pray and anoint you. In 1921, Thomas Edison, with many inventions already under his belt, he said this, we don't know the millionth part of 1% about anything. We don't know what water is. We don't know what light is. We don't know what gravitation is. We don't know what electricity is. We don't know what heat is. We have a lot of hypotheses about these, but that is all. But we do not let our ignorance about these deprive us of their use. There's so much we don't understand about prayer and praise and anointing. But we don't let our ignorance about those keep us from using them. Pray for the sick. Pray for those in trouble. Pray for the church. Pray for those not yet here. Pray for the lost. Just pray. final words very important let's pray God some are troubled and we pray some are celebrating they're happy and our prayer is thank you some of us are sick. Lord, heal us. Some of us have been praying and we haven't had answers or aren't well. Hear their prayer. Thank you, God, for hearing us. We don't understand it, but we trust these prayers have been heard, and you will respond. In Christ we pray. Amen.
Thanks for tuning in to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Baltimore Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast. Please like, review, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. If you have any questions, please submit them through the Anchor app. Or join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. right in our own Broadmoor Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Otherwise, I hope you have a good week.